right. Well, let's open up to uh, the first John. And uh, this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off in chapter two. We're going to look at three verses this morning. And uh, the Lord, I think, has some good things to say to us and to challenge us uh, this morning as well. And uh, so let's, uh, let's read in verse 15, first uh, John chapter two, and just follow along with me. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we'll have the words uh, up on the screen uh, for you this morning. So very simply put, John writes this to the church. He says this, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray in your goodness that you would speak to us and change us. We love you, Father, and we're grateful for calling us to salvation. Now speak to us in your word through your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in high school, I had a high school coach that you either loved him or hated him. There were a couple of reasons for that. He had this really intense personality. Uh, he, uh, he was very passionate uh, when, when it came time to compete. Uh, he would use phrases like, we're going into battle. And he was this uh, older man who just, he was intense. Um, he never like grabbed anybody or, or got physical, but like his emotions on the field, he was very passionate about winning. And he sort of tried to ingrain that in us. And so depending on your personality and how you received criticism or not, you either really, really loved him or you really, really just absolutely despised him 100%. I happened to be on the, the ladder where I, I, I loved my coach. And I started thinking this week, why, what was it about him that I, that I loved so much about him? And just really simply put, um, I knew him for about two or three years prior to when I got into high school. And when I was just in middle school, he would come around to the middle schoolers. And I just remember him just speaking truth into my life, like reminding me of, of my ability, who I was, uh, what I was capable of doing, that he had he'd been watching and, and seeing the things that I could do. And so when I got to high school where he became my coach, I, I loved him because he had made deposits in my life so that when he uh, sort of, so to speak, took the change out of his pocket and, and got in my face and, and got upset, I knew that he had my best interest at heart. Now, this past summer, as I was reading through 1 John from a devotional perspective, I had no idea that God was going to call us to Travis and that this was going to be the first book that I jumped off into. But here's the thing about 1 John that, that either you're catching if you're tracking with us or, or maybe not, is that it's an extremely like to the point, black and white, do this and don't do this kind of book. And, and the emotive feel of 1 John, it's very intense at times. And, and the way he uses words and the types of words that he uses, you can almost feel like he's, he's that coach that's grabbed you by the shirt and got in your face and been like, hey, like love the light, hate the darkness. What are you doing? But thankfully, in this morning's text, John does something for maybe some of us that might go, God, this is, this is a little intense. And, and John does something very strategically here that I, that I want to show you. And it happens before we get to verse 15. But I think that it helps encapsulate and it provides some, some good perspective to the text this morning. And, and really verses 12, 13, and 14 do it. But I'm just going to read verse 12 for you where he says this. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. 
I'm writing to you, my children, because I need you to remember that your sins have been forgiven. And so what he's done is he's come in and he's made some deposits reminding the church who they are and whose they are and what God has called them to do. And he's, he's put some change in his, in his pockets. And, and now what he's about to do is, as the coach, he's about to go up to the player and grab him by the shirt and say, now don't do this, all right? Pay attention to, to what I'm about to say and, and how I'm gonna say it because how I'm saying it is equally as important as what it is that I'm saying. And so what I want you to see beginning in verse 15, I want you to, to see in the very beginning where he makes the statement, do not love. Now in John's letter, he uses the word love or a derivative of love over 51 different times. 51 different times he uses the word love. Love the light, love the people, love God, always in the context of positive reinforcement until he gets to verse 15. And then what he does with the word love is completely contrary to what he does in the rest of the book. But he uses the word love in a prohibitive sense. So this is the only instance out of 51 times in the book that he says, you are not to love these things. And the reason he does that is to gather our attention for just a moment. And he puts it in, a, in an imperatival form. So in other words, he's commanding the people, pay attention, do not love these things. And if we were to have sat down and read through the book as a whole from verse one all the way to the end, we would catch that nuance that exists within the text. And so he says this, this is the first time of 51 instances throughout the book where he's gonna say, do not love these things. He goes on and he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Now this word world is the word cosmos that's used there. And, and so here's the question that the text presents us. Most all of us are familiar with John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say to us? For God so loved what? The world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. That the world standing condemned already, God sent a savior. And so in one sense, you've got the most famous scripture in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world. And yet in this moment, in, in John's letter, John says, do not love the world. And it creates this paradox that exists within the scriptures. And so we are forced then as students to then go, well, how do we reconcile these things? And what exactly does he mean when he's talking about not loving the world? Well, I want to say before we clarify precisely what that phrase means, I think it's helpful to understand perhaps what he doesn't mean. And in the first way that he doesn't intend for us to use the phrase to, to not love the world, he's not talking about not loving or caring for what we would just identify as the created order or the created things. So uh, how this plays itself out very simply is we, when we go to the beach or we go to the mountains, 
and we see something God has created, we, we don't go and apply the verse found in 1 John that I'm not to love the world or the things of the world. No, we go to the beach to appreciate how, how grand and how big to see the oceans. We look at the mountains and we were reminded about how small and insignificant we are. Now, if you're a mountain person and you go to the beach, you have every right to hate the beach. The sand that gets all over the place. We don't know where the sand comes from, but it, but it never disappears. Like you're a beach person or you're a mountain person, but, but he's not saying don't hate the world in that sense. Listen to me. God creates good things and he intends for his people to enjoy them. Do you hear me on that? There are things that God creates there are things that we create as an extension of God that we that are meant to be enjoyed. So um, Haley and I are, are a little bit of we're, we're not real. We're, I guess we're foodies in one sense, but but we we're actually really uh, snotty about the coffee that we drink in our family. Like there are certain types of coffee that that I believe are reserved only if you are in jail. OK, only these are jailhouse coffees, all right? Uh, in particular, there, there's one brand of coffee uh, that is absolutely gas, gas station only or jailhouse, and, and that is Starbucks coffee, okay? It is reserved for prison, all right? It's burnt, it's overcooked. I don't even care if it's the light roast or whatever. Like, it tastes terrible. And so that, the reason why we go to Starbucks is not because the coffee's so good, it's because they're putting all the caramel and the chocolate and all the things that sort of uh, blend out the pure coffee taste, right? Are you with me? Did I offend some of you? Okay, good. You need to be offended this morning and hear some truth from God's word. Somebody came up to me after the, the first service and like, you do realize we give away Starbucks gift cards in this church. <laughs> and I said, oh, I am well aware. And I'm just tackling the mountains one at a time. It's gonna change. It's okay to enjoy things. To enjoy them within a, an appropriate amount of, of not overindulging, not letting it consume us. And so the idea of, of not loving the world or the things of the world, it doesn't include created things. It, it doesn't even include so far as some would interpret this and say that, that it includes that, that we despise and hate the, the economic and even the social structures that, that exist within society. We, we don't have to say we 100% agree with those things, but, but it doesn't mean that we get to go around hating those things or become anarchist in some ways and, and live and do what is right in our own eyes. It doesn't mean, listen to me, it doesn't mean that we have to hate culture. Can I, can I just say this to us is that God brings us into an existence at a particular time and he puts us in a particular location. And God is not unaware of the context in which we live and the time in which we live. There is a, there is a cultural uh, contextualization that has to take place. And so um, God is aware of those things. And so when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world, he's not saying you have to hate culture. In fact, one of the things that we want to embrace as a church moving forward is that we, we don't want to make, we want to make sure that our church is not being defined by the culture that exists out there. We want to make sure that we are creative enough on our own standing before the Lord that we are able to influence and even make and create culture. 
that we are engaging it in a way that is compelling and that they're aware. It doesn't mean we're compromising our values, but what it does mean is that we are going to be aware of the context in which we're in. And the 1950s and the 1980s are not coming back around. And we have to be prepared and we have to be aware, all churches do, that we live in 2019, 2020. Culture is changing. And listen, that doesn't catch the Lord by surprise. He's aware of those things. So he's not giving us permission to say, well, we, we have to hate the culture. No, uh, there's a balance somewhere in there and we don't have to hate the people that exist within the culture. But what he means when he makes the statement, do not love the world or the things of the world. What he's in particularly talking about is he's talking about the values and the pursuits of the world that stand in contradiction to the values and the pursuits of the kingdom. So when you lay aside the values of this world and you put them up against the values of the kingdom as been revealed in scripture and embodied in Christ, those are the values that we reject. And so when he says we we do not love the world, what he's addressing in essence is he's addressing worldliness to the extent that, that our values and our pursuits line up with the world's values and pursuits and not the things that God values and he wishes us to pursue. Worldliness is loving the values and pursuits of the world that stand opposed to God. This is what he means when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. But he also helps us in the text this morning in verse 16 as he actually gives us three pretty practical ways of of implication that that identify um, what this actually means and what he's actually talking about. Notice in verse 16 where he says this, for all that is in the world, he says there's three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, I I prayed long and hard about this and trying to identify uh, the, the worst person, the biggest reprobate that exists within this worship service this morning. And the Lord led me to identify that Ray Rayleigh stands out amongst the rest. And so, Ray, I'm gonna ask you to come join me on stage. He had no idea I was gonna ask him to do this. Um, but I wanted to find the worst person that I could in our church, the most ungodly individual that exists. And the Lord was like, Ray, Ray, Ray is, is our man. Amen. Amen. See, Ray would say that you, you trying to be kind and nice at this moment. All right. And so, so Ray's going to help me this morning to illustrate a point that, that exists within the text. And so uh, when you look closely at verse 16, I identified three ways that he, that he talks about it. And what I want you to notice are the first two, the word desire. And what desire means, and it's translated a different way, it can mean craving. And what craving is, is that it is a desire or a craving or a yearning that begins to weigh you down and it begins to control you in what you do and how you think. And so to illustrate it this way, I have this uh, chain, an old ball and chain over here, you know. Um, I keep this chain in my truck. Um, I've had this chain in my truck probably for a good 15 or 16 years. And um, man, I've, I've used it for a lot of things. Uh, I've, I've gotten stuck in the mud. I've pulled things out of the mud. Uh, this chain has been with me for, for a really long time. But when John uses the, the phrase desire and cravings and these desires, it's 
it's kind of like holding this chain. This chain's pretty heavy. And so I'm going to, since Ray is my, my understudy here today, I'm going to ask, just hold on to the chain for me. All right. Now, that chain's pretty heavy, right? It's not a plastic chain. It's a real chain, right? All right. Now, Ray, what happens and, and what happens in Ray's life and what happens in yours and my life is that when we begin to love the world and the things of the world, we begin to pick up on, on three things that John identifies, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. And so the desires of the flesh are, are the, the word flesh in the Greek there, it's, it's actually a word for like sensual. And so it, it means like things that I overindulge in. And it, and it, can, be, it can be sexual things in nature. Uh, it can be just mean that I'm a glutton and I enjoy food or I'm really snotty about the, the right types of coffee or wrong types of coffee. Like I can overindulge in certain things. And so the desires of the flesh are anything that I sort of run to. But every time I do it, here's what I want you to see. Every time I do it, I end up grabbing this chain and this desire. And I begin to sort of be weighed down by the chain. And so every time um, I decide to participate and, and engage in the desires of the flesh, whether it be eating or, or sensual or whatever that is, what I begin to do is I begin to wrap this chain around my body. And, and he uses that word desire to, to illustrate this notion of you become weighted down by the sin. And you get locked in by the chain. He says, desire of the eyes. These are things that you look at and you want and, and all you do is think about it and you long for it, even though you can't have it. And so how this fleshes itself out is that we begin to long for things that we can't afford. And so what we end up doing is we go into debt to be able to purchase them. And then we get in trouble financially because the thing that we want that we see and it consumes us. So we make the purchase and it's beyond our means, but, but we also do it a different way. We can buy things that are without our means but also in the sense of loving the world and not loving the things of God, we live a lifestyle or a posture that takes us out of a, a posture of being generous people. Ray's shedding the chains. Listen, Jesus has not appeared yet, okay? Okay, he put it back on. Don't ruin my illustration, man. And so what happens is every time we engage the flesh and the eyes, the cravings get worse and they get heavier and the chain, I'm going to wrap it around you again. Don't let it come down. I'm going to wrap it around again. And then before we know it, here's what happens. We are no longer being led by the spirit of God, but rather we are being controlled by the cravings and the desires in our life. And we get pulled around and we get yanked around and pretty much, pretty soon, we, we don't realize that what we're doing is we're being controlled by our sin rather than being controlled by the Spirit. And so when I engage in the desires of my flesh, when I engage in the desires of my eyes, or we haven't even got to the pride of life and, and what that is, what's that all about? Essentially, the pride of life is any time, keep coming with me, it is any time, this is kind of fun pulling you around like this, uh, your wife may want to take this later and uh, I should get you to do some honeydews. But the pride of life is, is any moment and instance in my life where I become boastful about my own accomplishments or I begin to rest in the things that I've done or I'm looking to draw attention to myself 
in a way that, that I'm not giving honor or I'm not giving credit or I'm not giving glory to the Lord. And so, so what happens is when I have the, the flesh appeased, when my eyes are satisfied and when I become boastful in my previous accomplishments or resting in my own ability and not trusting in what the Lord is going to do in my life, then I become the individual that John's talking about, the person that is loving the world to the neglect of the kingdom. And what we don't often realize is after a while, we, we kind of get used to the chain, but, but not really. It, it kind of like, okay, like I, I kind of get used to it, but Ray, would, would you, uh, you want to wear this around at work this next week or, or enjoy Christmas with your family this no, way? It's heavy. No, it's heavy. Uh, would you want to go to sleep with it? You think there is a tempur mattress out there that would overcompensate for this? No, you can't manage it. And so what has to happen is, is we need somebody to deliver us from these things. And I wish I would have thought about this. I'd have had Jesus descend and like break the chains, right? From Ray, that'd have been really cool, but it doesn't happen. So we're just going to take it off. <laughs> but what happens is, is every time that I yield to the spirit of God in my life, and I say that I want my desires to be the Lord's desires. I want my cravings and longings to be the things that the Lord craves and yearns for. Thank you, Ray. Every time I do that, the chains are broken and the, and the bondage goes. But here's the crazy thing is that we walk around with chains around us all the time and we get comfortable with them to a degree and we forget what it, what it feels like to walk free of sin. We become so ingrained in it. And we become the profile of the person that John is talking about, the person who is loving the world to the neglect of the kingdom. The desires of the flesh, the cravings and yearnings, the, the pride of life, the desires of the eyes. This past week, we uh, took a family vacation. We were traveling to a theme park. And at this theme park, there was this shirt in this section of um, princesses that, that my girls really like. And there was a shirt that was up there and, and um, we were looking at dresses and different things. And the shirt had a really simple statement on it um, that I, I couldn't help but think like, this is the pride of life and this is the desires of the flesh and this is the desires of the eyes. The, the, shirt, the shirt just said this, really simple. It said, live your truth. Like live it, whatever your truth is, like phew, you do that. I think it was the one shirt in the entire theme park that I looked at my wife and I was like, our kids are not getting that if they ask. I don't care how sparkly it is. They're not getting it. You see the people of the world, they, they've adopted their own truth their own way of living and their own value system, their own principles. And what our job is, is that we come before this book on a regular basis, is, it is to yield our, our yearnings and our wants and our desires and to make sure that our principles align with the principles that exist within this book, recognizing that we, we have a context in which we live and that we need to live a, a compelling version of, of the gospel and it needs to be palatable to people. 
And when John says, do not love the world, and in essence, what he's talking about is he's talking about idolatry that exists within the hearts and the minds of believers. And idolatry, just very simply put, is, is when you love something, when you depend on something uh, and obey something more than, than God. And so the question that I kept asking myself this week is, what is it that I love and what is it that I'm depending on and what is it that I'm obeying more than the Lord? One author said it this way about idolatry. He said, idols are often good things that become God things that turn into bad things. Idols typically are, are not negative things. They, they initiate as very good things. And here's the funny thing about idolatry that we, we can't miss this morning and I, and I don't want you to miss is that idols are often reflected in our deepest longings and our deepest emotions. That's where they exist. We're not bowing down before Asherah poles in the Old Testament. We're not going to, to temples to, to worship uh, the, these false gods. And so where, where do most of our idols exist as, as church people? They exist in our, in our heart. They exist in, in our longings. They, they exist in, in our emotions and, and in our feelings and, and in our wants of those things. That's where the, the, the root of idolatry exists. And so it's, it's this constant battle of, of working our hearts before the Lord and making sure that we're right before him and, and right with him. Why? Because here, here's what he says in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with what? It's desires. Like present tense verb, the, the, the world is, it is decaying. It is eroding. It's not getting better. I'm sorry to my all-millennial friends out there. Like it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And the desires of the world, the, the longings of the world are passing away. But notice what he says. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here's the catch-all for us this morning. If we're not to be people of the world... And rather, we are to be kingdom-minded people. Here's the truth that we've got to recognize in, in this text is that what we give up here, we will gain in eternity. And if we miss this, it, it, it changes how, how we give, how we serve, um, how we think about things. So whatever we are yielding here to, to not be people of the world, but rather people of the kingdom, because we are not living for this world, my friends. Like this isn't our home. We're, we're, we're just passing by. We're sojourners, we're aliens, we're strangers. This is what first Peter identifies us as. And so when we live, we need to be willing to give up things here so that we will gain them in eternity in, in, the, in, the, in the life that lasts forever. So it's why we do child dedications where, where we're dedicating them with the purpose of eternity in mind before us on our lips and in our hearts. We, we serve people, uh, kingdom-minded people. They serve people, not just when it's convenient, but more or less when it's inconvenient for them. Heavenly kingdom-minded people are not concerned with how much money they're making, but kingdom-minded people are more concerned with how much money they're giving away. How they're, they're setting themselves up in a posture of, of generosity. They are, they are giving their time and their resources. They're investing in people. Listen, my friends, people are our mission. Like they are our mission. 
And so we give up certain things so that we can gain other things in the perspective of where we will live and where we will spend the rest of our lives because this is not our home. Thank you, John. I feel like after I waded through all that this week, I, this morning when I got here early, I just, I went back to verse 12 and I went, I can do this, but, but Lord, I need to hear this again. I'm, I'm writing to you, my children, because your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven. For those that have received and trusted in Christ, your sins are forgiven, my friend. Now go and sin no more. Be a people of the kingdom, not of this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ you've saved us of our sins. You've redeemed us. We pray, Father in heaven, that you would heal our our brokenness and our wounds. Lord, I pray that you would do through your spirit, you would do the heart work in the life of your people this morning. That you would tend to our deepest longings and our, our deepest feelings. And that you would root out the idolatry that exists in each of our lives. And Lord, you would begin with me, Drew, here today. Father, we want to be a church that's obedient and faithful to your scriptures. We want to be in the world but not of the world we want to be different and set apart but we also want to be aware of where our culture is and how to engage it so would you give us those eyes to see Lord with every head bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ as your savior and been redeemed of your sins and called upon the name of the Lord to receive that forgiveness we would want nothing more today than for you to know that you are forgiven through Christ And I'll be down front here in just a few moments as we respond in song. Some of our staff and elders are are around. We would love for you to know the goodness and the kindness of our God and the forgiveness of sins. But if you know you're saved and you've you've been walking with Jesus, then this altar's invitation is for you too. What is it that you're depending on, thinking about, and obeying to the neglect of our God and your response just like mine was this week is to repent and to walk in the forgiveness that God offers through Christ so I'm going to ask at this time would you stand I'm going to pray for us and our team is going to take over and you sing in response to the good news of the gospel this morning and the goodness and kindness of our God pray with me Father thank you that we have forgiveness of sins at the feet of your son, Jesus. Help us now respond by faith, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said,